0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. We're committed to sparking important conversations about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. It is Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. So, you know, sometimes you meet people and they just blow you away. You meet them, they light up a room, you want to eat whatever they're eating, you want to wear whatever they're wearing. You just want to be able to sample a little bit of whatever they have going on for me, our next guest, Nellie Galan, is that kind of woman. I met Nellie at the Women's Conference of Florida. We were both speaking. I saw her. I think I heard her across the room before I saw her, but she just lit the entire place up. And so when she said, we got to figure out some way to do something together, I was beyond thrilled. For those of you who don't know Nellie, she was the first Latina president of entertainment for a U.S. television network for Telemundo. She is an Emmy award-winning producer. She is the founder of the Adelante Movement, which empowers and trains Latinas economically and entrepreneurially, and she is the author of a New York Times bestselling book called Self-Made, Becoming Empowered, Self-Reliant, and Rich in Every Way. I'm so happy to have her here. Nellie, welcome.
1: Jean, I'm just so thrilled to be with you. I mean, thank you for such a beautiful introduction, but I just have to tell you, that as a Latina that was always interested in money, to hear you talk about money, to see you on the Today Show was so empowering for me that I just can't tell you how thrilling it was for me to meet you. It was like, wow, my mentor. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you so much. For our listeners who don't know about you, tell us a little bit. I mean, where did you come from?
1: Well, you know, I'm an immigrant. Um I was born in Cuba and it's it's good for people to hear because when I see what we're seeing right now on the border and with all those families coming over, you know, I was a refugee. I was someone who, you know, my parents were in communist Cuba. They had to leave in the middle of a communist revolution. We came to the United States in 1968 in the midst of a horrible situation where my parents lost everything. And I came into this country at very different times where we were brought here with open arms and we came to live with an American family in Southern New Jersey and we lived with them for a year and they took us in and we fell in love with them and they fell in love with us. They adopted us and very horrible, difficult times that were made easier by the love of this family, the Kreb family. Um, my parents, went, who were well off in Cuba, had to go back to school. My father had to go work in the Ford Motor Company. My mother had to go become a factory worker and then a seamstress. And my parents taught me to be grateful for this country, to be patriotic and to work really hard. And I think those are the values that allowed me to become self-made over time, to work really hard and to think uh, like, like an entrepreneur in all my jobs, even when I worked for other people, always thinking, how do I take baby steps and slowly become self-made?
0: It's so interesting listening to you tell your story cuz I I was born in this country. My parents were born in this country, but my grandparents were not born in this country. They came from Eastern Europe, from Russia in the most part, from Romania. My grandfather was a, a pants cutter. He not even a tailor. He was the one who cut the pants out. And I learned from him by the way that even if you want to buy a size four, you should try on different size fours because the ones on the bottom of the pile when they're mm-hmm. cut are different than the ones on the top of the pile when they're cut. Just just a little trivia there. But I think it's so a story so many people can relate to, and it does spur that sort of drive to do better, to be ambitious. I mean, you've written that Becoming Self-Made is almost like a diet in that it takes determination and discipline and willpower and these forces all are sometimes difficult to summon so if you don't come by it naturally if you're not born into it as you were how do you summon them
1: well i think i i I think people in this country tend to think we you know, since we watch television and movies, we think somehow people, it's like a get rich quick thing or everything seems grandiose or everything. Oh, I just founded a company and I'm a billionaire. In fact, um, you know, I always say I'm a turtle. I think that I am really slow. Nothing comes to me quickly, easily. I think life is more about every day taking a step, You know, I always say that I start every year, January 1st. I say, what are the three things I'm going to accomplish this year? And sometimes it's laser hair removal, which takes a whole year. (laughs) Sometimes it's, I'm going to lose weight this year. Well, if that's one of the things on my list, it takes the whole year to do, you know, to lose a few pounds. It's three things, not a million things. And those three things, you have to break it down to three things a month, three things a week three things a day, not a million things. And when you do three things a day, three things a week, three things a month, you really accomplish a lot. And so to me, it isn't about grandiosity. Self-made, you know, I tell women whether you sell on eBay or Amazon one hour a week as a side hustle while you work for somebody else. And while you're working for somebody else, you're analyzing, what do I like about this job? What do I not like about this job? What could I do better? What should I be doing in the future while I'm selling on eBay or Amazon one hour a week? That person that does that is equally as becoming self-made as Sarah Blakely, who created Spanx. I think you have to see yourself on the journey of self-made when you're doing it one hour or one minute a week or when you're fully doing it full-time. It is a mindset.
0: And you do suggest carving out a specific amount of time a day to yes. to focus on it. And you say start with an hour. I think we all have so many different things going on in our lives these days, you know. And when we're not busy because we're working, we've made ourselves busy with all of our devices. How do you just... Take that time in the day? Do you put it down on your calendar? Do you write it down? You talk a lot about getting intentional. So, how do we, what's the process?
1: Well, I think the reason I love to compare it to a diet is the only way I've ever lost weight is I put a picture up in the refrigerator of the heaviest version of me and the thinnest version of me. And every time I want to eat another carb, I keep going, okay. If you really want to look like that, keep eating that carb. And I think the 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 version of self-made that helps me to focus, because I think self-made is about goal orientation versus instant gratification. All of us You know, life for women, I really feel for women. That's why I wrote a book for women that really could have been for everybody. But I am so female identified. I feel for us so much because everything in our life is long-term gratification. So you really do want to buy that lipstick. You really do want to buy those shoes. But when you realize that if you don't make that sacrifice, you know, I say to women, don't buy shoes, buy buildings. Because if you don't realize that by buying that lipstick, If you don't see something bigger, if you don't put up a goal that is bigger, like I want to own a building, I want to own a business, I want to get to a certain age and I want to be able to go on a trip around the world. If you don't have a goal that's put up on the refrigerator, if you don't see a bigger life for yourself, you're not going to be able to do it. It's so true.
0: It reminds me of we have to do this not just for ourselves but we have to do this for our kids. I right. I grew up in many different towns, but I had a very good childhood friend growing up and her parents had these very lofty dreams and goals for her older brother and they didn't have the same for her. And it We have to do this for our daughters. We have to do it for our sons, but we also have to do it for ourselves. And these long-term goals are difficult when it comes to dieting or when it comes to money because human beings are wired for the short-term fix. Mm
1: -hmm. But Jean, you know what? In listening this last year to the whole Me Too thing and Time's Up and all that, I want young women to hear that, you know, all the issues that women have begin with finances. If you're someone that's in a relationship that's bad, or if you put up with a bad boss, or if anything that goes wrong in women's lives, the truth is, if we're being really honest, when you have your own money, and when you have enough money, you don't put up with a lot. I mean, I'm not saying money makes you happy, but money takes away a lot of your problems so that you have more choices in life. I mean. Here I am, I just told you I was a refugee. I knew no one. I had no money. I had no contacts, nothing. I'm not J-Lo. I'm not Beyonce. I'm not a professional athlete. From someone who started from nothing, who is a turtle. By the time I was 45, by making money, saving money, investing that money in real estate, other people can invest it in other things. I did it in real estate. I was able by 45, if I wanted to, to retire. And this is why I wrote this book. And this is why I started this movement. And particularly for multicultural women, because in our communities, nobody talks about money. Well, yeah, in life, nobody talks about money. Yeah. And so at 45, my life is still at a young age. Every opportunity in the world was open to me. So when young women say, "I want to be a filmmaker," "I want to do this," I'm like, guess what? You know, when you're a filmmaker, when you have the, your own money to make your own movie, guess what? You want to do whatever you I, you. I wanted to take a trip around the world. I did it at 45. Everything on my bucket list, I did. So the truth of the matter is that no one says to you, as I say to young women, real talk: you got to go make money first. When I hear young women say to me, I want to go save the world and I want to go start a nonprofit. Great. You know what? I now have a nonprofit. You have to go make money first. And that's not a dirty word. That is real talk, right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely real talk. And I want to get
0: granular about making that money in just a second. But let me remind everybody that Her Money and Conversations like these are sponsored by Fidelity Investments. We are working together to encourage women to be in the front seat when it comes to our finances, which by the way, is exactly what Nellie is talking about. And that's because women are in the driver's seat in so many aspects of our lives, managing our families, our careers, and yet when it comes to making decisions about money, too many women delegate to someone else. One thing is clear, when it comes to investing, you always want to be in the front seat by knowing what you own, what you owe, what your goals are, and having an annual financial checkup. You can learn more about that at fidelity.com slash front seat. Before we get back to our conversation with Nellie Galan, I'd like to tell you about another podcast. If you're a fan of her money, then you will love the Great Women of Business podcast from Parcast. Similar to how we're discussing Nellie's story, Great Women of Business shares the success stories of amazing women, women like Coco Chanel, Mark. Martha Stewart, Julia Child, and many more. With captivating, well-researched stories, each episode takes you through the harrowing journeys and struggles that lead these women to greatness. They talk about their failures, the obstacles they overcame, and their business principles. The 12-episode series premiered last month, and you can expect new episodes every Tuesday. Visit Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for great women of business i'm talking with Nellie galan author of self-made but also author of the forthcoming book don't buy shoes buy buildings that is your next book it comes out in 2019 and it's an investing guidebook for women so giving us a little sneak peek into that i how do we get started if if i am a young woman who wants to make my own money and maybe i don't have the down payment yet for a building how do i get
1: started well it's so funny because all my young women that work with me in the office we you know we i just did a i just shot a webinar for the book and they're like well okay like we don't know anything and i go great well i didn't know anything when i started either i think it's really important to say to women the number one thing is you do have to save money first. You do. And when women say to me, well, I live in New York City or I live in Los Angeles or I live where I can't save money. I think that's a little bit of a crock of BS because everyone can save money wherever you live. So I used to live in New York City and I lived in the Upper West Side and I had a you know $3,000 apartment. And when I realized that I needed to change my life, I moved to the East Village, which back then was cheap, now it's expensive. And I lived in a, in a rent control $300 apartment, fourth floor walk up in the East Village. And I started saving money. And you, what you have to do in life is you have to change your priorities. So you have to say, you have to budget. You have to get one of those apps that budgets your money. And you, the first thing you have to do is say, do I have to get a roommate? Do I have to stop eating out? What do I have to do? Because my favorite word in the English language is sacrifice. You know what? You have to give up something in order to get something. And my second favorite word is completion. You have to complete what you begin. So you have to have a goal and you have to complete that goal. So here's the goal. You have to save two years of salary, which everybody goes, that's impossible. It's not impossible. So here's the two things you're going to do. You're going to lower your expenses and you're going to get a side hustle. And that side hustle can begin with Selling things on Amazon or eBay, taking whatever assets you have—is it a car? Drive an Uber, a Lyft, whatever. Figure out all of. I mean, you. I mean, are you kidding me? In this day and age, where you can do everything from home, you can figure out what to do. If you're someone like me, that's about to be—you know—a mom that ki- their kid is leaving to college. I'm figuring out: should I Airbnb my little guest house? What should I do?
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I have to tell you, though, that the mouths of our entire staff when you mentioned that $300 apartment were on the floor because it's true. I had one, too. I had a studio in the village in a doorman building that was $400 a month, a
1: $400 a month. you have to go to New Jersey. Wow, you have to go to New Jersey. Or you have to go, in L.A., you have to go to Hawthorne, which is an emerging city. You know, the other thing people don't realize is You know, one of the things I say in my book in Don't Buy Shoes by Buildings, I say it a lot because people said, how have you made so much money in real estate? My other favorite thing that no one teaches, I can't believe I've been to every university in America. Nobody teaches emerging cities, emerging markets, emerging countries. Why does everybody want to live in New York, L.A., Miami, Chicago? My new favorite city in America, Bentonville, Arkansas. You heard it from me first. We have a team member
0: who's just, she's from the South and she knows all about Bentonville, Arkansas. But you're right, you're right. It's Birmingham, Alabama and right. Nashville. Well, Nashville's too big already,
1: but- If you're a young person and you move to Bentonville, Arkansas, and I'm just giving you that as, I can give you 20 cities. I've been to every city in America. I have a list of like 25 cities that I think are emerging. You go there and you just go there. If you're, I mean, you don't have to even even know what you're doing. In 20 years, you're going to be rich. You're going (laughs) to buy yourself a house for forty thousand dollars, and in 20 years, that house will be worth at least a million dollars. Okay, so Nellie, my
0: entire team just quit, and um, and they're they're saying sayonara. We will we will see. But I totally I get the point. I think sometimes we get so stuck on being where we are and where the action is that we're we're not focused on moving where it's going to be, and that takes... That takes... Pioneering, some, pioneering. Some, exactly, exactly. I want to talk about Latinas in, in yes. particular for a second. When we look at the wage gap, we know the wage gap is substantially larger for Black and Hispanic women than it is for white women. It's projected to take much longer to close. I know this is a point of passion for you it is. and the Adelante movement that you've started. What's your advice to Latinas, to women of color in particular?
1: Well, you know, I started this gene because I grew up seeing women, a woman who pioneered for you and me, Susie Orman, women, white women that were doing the kind of work that you and I are now doing. And I thought to myself, and I I was always, I felt like this work of economic work was very congruent to me, but I felt like, who am I to do this? And then I thought to myself, who am I not to do this? the women in my community, I realized this was the gap in our community. And then in going out and speaking, I realized it wasn't just African American and Latinas. I realized no one was speaking to Indian American women in the United States, Asian women, Muslim women, all the women of color were like these incredible women doing incredible work and they were quiet and no one was talking to them about all the opportunities in America, all the hidden money in America for them. And I realized, oh my God, these women are the women that every advertiser in America wants, the number one customer in America, the number one people that all Fortune 500s want and they didn't even know what their power was. So I felt like, my God, I need to connect the dots and tell them what their value is in the marketplace, what their worth is and how to, go and use that worth to make money. And so to me, I this whole thing, I mean, you know, Jean, I have a whole background in television and this whole thing has changed my life because I feel like if women knew, if white women knew, oh my God, if you all start a business, these are your customers. We need to connect the dots between all women. I really feel that the answer for all women lies in the economic growth of all women together working together, building businesses together and understanding, you know, really becoming financially literate.
0: You are preaching to the choir. We are going to hold you to your promise to come in and be with us in studio when you are in New York next time. And I will try to see you in L.A. But for now, let me just say thank you so much for being here. The book is self-made. The new book, upcoming is Don't Buy Shoes, Buy Buildings. Love that. Nellie Galan, we'll talk to you soon.
1: And Jean, thank you for all your work all these years.
0: Nellie, thank you. Kelly Heldgren, our producer, is with me in the studio. I know you're, you're very jealous about my studio apartment, aren't
2: you? Oh, both of yours. It was a rental.
0: I know it was crazy. It was craziness. But this was before prices plummeted. I mean, there was a time if I had been smart when I would have been buying buildings instead of shoes because New York
2: real estate was just in the tank. I'm looking for an apartment right now for fun, not for fun. If we find something that we love more than our current place, we'll do it, my Mm -hmm. roommate and I. But just hearing... I know, hundred dollars. I know, but I was
0: making eleven thousand dollars a year. I know, it's all, and I couldn't make it. And I couldn't make it work. I mean, I had a side hustle. I had, I was a side hustle pioneer. You were <laughs> me and my SAT teaching. One of the first giggers. Yes, yes. exactly, exactly.
2: <laughs> that, and I actually love her being a turtle.
0: Yes, I you, got you were on the floor. When I was on the floor
2: on my back of on my shell. But no, I'm actually more of a hare. So hearing that, it inspires me to slow down because I am running way too fast, trying to do way too much every single day, and I am doing exactly the opposite of what she's telling us to do, and I need to do – I need to take it more like a turtle.
0: Elliot's mother, my husband Elliot's mother, Marsha, mm-hmm. who people who grew up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania will know as Miss Marsha because she was the romper room lady, um, <laughs> used to say – the busier I am the slower I go and she did it on purpose that she forced herself to slow down when she had more on her plate and I never got to meet her she died before I met my husband but
2: I really try hard to keep that in mind and it's difficult it's not easy no not easy but now she was incredibly inspirational so fun and I really hope we can have her on multiple times yeah
0: we're gonna have her back she's gonna be she's gonna be a frequent
2: guest Amazing. All right. We'll do some questions. Our first question is from Rachel. I am a 25-year-old professional and currently renting an apartment. The leasing office has been advertising a third-party service that reports rent payments to the major credit bureaus and monitors your credit for fraud. It is a fee of four ninety-five a month. I have a good, not great credit score. Is this service worth it long term?
0: So, one of the things that improves your credit score is having a mix of types of credit on your um, on your report. Essentially, so if you can show that you're paying a car loan in addition to a student loan, in addition to a credit card bill, in addition to a mortgage, that rounded out profile is helpful. This sounds expensive to me for what it is. You can do the fraud monitoring for free with a service like Credit Karma, which will give you credit monitoring for free. You can freeze your credit, which is the best fraud preventer, and you can do that for free as well. At least you'll be able to do it for free very shortly. I would look deeper into why your credit score is only fair, not great. If you missed a couple of payments, I would just focus on the basics, which is pay your bills on time every time. Make sure you are not using more than 10 to 30 percent of the available credit that you have on your credit cards. Don't shop for credit you don't need. Don't close cards you're not using.
2: That in and of itself should do it. I wouldn't buy this service. This is the first time I'm hearing of a third party. I thought that, you know, it was kind of luck of the draw if you were if you were renting at a building that does report, because I know not all buildings report rent payments. So I'm wondering if this is a newer service or if this is a trend we should expect because of the fact that we are having so many millennials with thin files.
0: I think it's something that we should look into, yeah. and we can make her that promise. So mm-hmm. this is the first time that I've heard of this service as well.
2: And we'll, that would be great. I would have appreciated that a long time ago. Everywhere I've lived has not reported to the credit bureaus.
0: So it's a two-step process. It's a two-step problem, rather. It's the reporting of the rent payments, but then it's whether the rent payments are counted in the formula.
2: Oh, um,
0: yep. And so you've gotta we've gotta figure out whether it's beneficial in both ways. Mm. And we will Do some reporting into that, and we will get back to you in a future Thrive. How's that?
2: Thank you, Rachel, for the new story. And we'll do one more from LaDonna. My son, 40, moved his wife and three young children to Portland, Oregon. He still owns his home in Fairfield, Iowa. I'm saying these because we just learned from Nellie about Emerging Places, I'm wondering if these are them. It has been on the market for three years, but no offers. He continues to pay on the mortgage, taxes, repairs, recently a new roof, mowing, snow removal, and anything else that is needed. What should he do? They rent a home in Portland, but would like to purchase a home. I have suggested letting the home go back to the bank or even bankruptcy, but he refuses to do either. Do you have any suggestions that would help him? I assume he's lowered the price as much as he can.
0: She doesn't say that, but... At some point, when you're dealing with big expenses like a new roof and monthly mortgage payments, the cost of carrying this thing becomes so crazy that you should really just reduce the price as much as you possibly can in order to get it sold. We often tend to believe our homes and the places that we've lived and the places that we fixed up and painted the walls and chosen the colors are worth more than they're worth. And sometimes what we need is a reality check. Now, if he's done all of that, I would talk to the bank about a short sale, um, talk to the bank about the potential of selling it for less than he owes on it. The downside there is that you may owe taxes between the difference in what you eventually sell it for and what you owe. But my guess is those taxes are, are not going to be more than the cost of another new roof or whatever the next big expense is to come down the line. And that may need to be what he needs to do to get a um, get his next leg up. The only other thing that occurs to me is make sure that he has talked to the very best brokers in town and the um, home stagers and anybody else in this local real estate market about what it is that is causing homes to move and, and doing those things as well. There may be something you could do to this home to just make it more attractive and that might be an expense worth taking on. Great. Thank you, Jean. Thank you so much, Kelly. And in our Thrive segment this week, we're talking student debt, which has hit in the U.S. the $1.5 trillion mark. That's trillion with a T for the first time ever. Most of it is on the shoulders of women. As of mid-May, women hold nearly two-thirds of the outstanding student debt in the U.S., which in a dollar amount equals about $900 billion. That's according to a new report from the American Association of University Women. Women represented 56% of those students enrolled in American colleges and universities in the fall of 2016. But it's not just a matter of volume. It's not just the fact that there are more of us. The report found out women take out more and larger student loans than men do. And of course... Add on to that the fact that women working full-time, even those with college degrees, make 26% less than their male counterparts, which means we have less income to pay the debt off, more years in repayment, and more interest paid overall. Just a reminder as we head into next year's student loan season to fill out the FAFSA and to borrow really really carefully. Now more than ever, we need to think about the value that we're getting from our college educations as much as we do the name on the sweatshirt or the pennant that we stick on our walls. I want to say a big thank you to all of you today for joining me on Her Money. Thank you to the wonderful Nellie Galan for the fantastic conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Please leave us a review. We like reviews. We want to hear what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of the lovely CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we'll be back with another great guest. We'll talk soon.